Reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. <clears throat> Matthew 25, verse 31 can be found in your pew Bibles on page 702. Again, Matthew 25, verse 31 can be found in your pew Bibles on page 702. Matthew 25:31 to 46 When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go in to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared by the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. May God bless the reading of his word. This morning, um, our preacher will be Pastor Stephen Bowman, as you probably know him. He's been up here a couple times before, but he is also our church's um, children's pastor. Pastor Stephen. Good morning. It's good to have this opportunity to preach to you here. So let's start with a brief prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time, Lord, to be in your house. Speak to us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this is a very special day for me. July 31st, 25 years ago, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. God rescued me from a life of a rebellion towards him. And now, if you're good at math, you're going to be able to tell how old I am, because this was when I was 29 years old. So I had a lot of sin to overcome. 
So we will share more later as it ties into the parable of the sheep and the goats about my testimony. So CBCGV English is doing a series on the parables of Jesus. And when I teach the kids, I teach them simply, a parable is a made-up story that teaches us something that is true. Like the boy who cried wolf. We all know if we keep pulling the false alarm, when we do need, when finally there is a real emergency, the help won't come. Or from Pinocchio, we know that the more lies we tell, the more trouble we're going to eventually get into. Bear with me here. Okay, so today's passage is from Matthew 25, the end of Matthew 25. But really, you need to begin to, to know the, the whole chapters of 24 and 25 together, because they really lead into each other. So this is the most we hear from Jesus about end times things. So it's Jesus' famous eschatological discourse. And eschatology means the study of events associated with the end of time. Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This got me thinking, how does our culture envision the end of the age? I think probably for many of us, they don't even think about it at all. Some people maybe just don't think of the end of time at all, even though they know Jesus is coming back and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Maybe they don't think about it at all. I would guess some people think that maybe global warming will the, the hole will get so big that the sun will eventually just burn up the earth and that will be the end. Or some think that we will eventually find life on other planets and have like intergalactic Star Wars battles and that's how the earth is going to come to its end. And then maybe, sadly, some of us are so self-centered, focused on only ourselves, Bigger, bigger houses, better cars, more money, more education, to even stop and think about the end times. And then sadly, even more sadly than that, I think, is maybe some people aren't even aware that Jesus Christ is coming back. And there's going to be some rough times during that time, but the end of this earth as we know it will, will happen when Jesus comes back. So if Jesus is coming back, then how should we be waiting? So after Jesus says that he isn't even sure when the end is going to, when he's coming back, only the Father knows. The angels don't know, only the Father knows. But we should be waiting well. We should be waiting correctly. Now just briefly on waiting, we all wait differently. So some of you may be going on vacation soon. And if you have small children and you're going to Disney World and you have one week before your vacation, you might be thinking you need to finish that project at work. Get the house ready. 
Find someone to feed the cat, water the plants. But those kids, they cannot wait. They're like, let's go. I want to go now. Let's go. So we wait differently. But how should we be waiting correctly for Jesus' return? So about midway through chapter 24, there's five stories Jesus tells and five lessons we learn on how to wait correctly. I'm going to briefly go through the first four and spend the bulk of the time on the fifth one. You can see uh, which what the names of these stories are from. So we're going to briefly look at these each story. So the first way we are to wait for Jesus' return is we are to wait for the Lord Jesus as one who does not wish to be surprised at the coming of the Lord's return. This comes from the story, The Day and Hour Unknown. So here in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 41, Jesus is saying that in the times of Noah, the people were eating, drinking, marrying, working, maybe um, playing Pokemon Go, whatever. They were, they were doing just caught up with the normalcy of life. So we should not be surprised in th- that Jesus is coming back. We need to be prepared. We need to keep watch. And then, in verses 40 and 41, Jesus says that two men were working in the field. One of them was taken, and the other remained. In verse 41, it says, two women were grinding at the mill. One was taken, the other remained. Don't be surprised, but be ready. Keep watch for Jesus' return. And then Matthew 24, verses 42 and 43, Jesus talks about his coming is going to be like a thief in the night. Has anybody ever had anything major stolen, their house broken into? I had my car stolen once. I pulled up in North Cambridge on Mass Ave. And uh, my wife's car was being repaired, and I went down this little driveway to pay the bill. So I walked down the little driveway. I was talking to the mechanic in just probably about two minutes. And I came up, and my car was gone. So if I had known that my car was going to be stolen then, I would have either, I probably would have taken, drove it down the driveway, or I would have scheduled that errand for a different time. This is the same way we need to be thinking about Jesus' return. We need to be prepared. We need to keep watch. So don't be surprised. The second way we wait for Jesus' return is we need to wait for the Lord Jesus as stewards who must be ready to give an account of our service, faithful or otherwise. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have to give him an account. That should be the faithful in the evil servant. So in this passage of scripture, there are two examples. One servant was put in charge while the master went away to take care of the household, to see that everybody was fed and everything was taken care of. 
So the good and the faithful one, when the master came home, he was doing everything that he was supposed to be doing. But when the master came home for the evil servant, the evil servant was partying, everything was a mess. So again, you need to be ready to give the Lord an account. So how are you living your life right now? Are you extending the kingdom of heaven to earth? Have you been transformed by the gospel? I love the story of John Newton. If you were here for my ordination, I shared that the first verse of Amazing Grace, I feel like it was written for me. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton was a slave trader. In fact, he was in charge, a captain of those ships that went to Africa, took the slaves, and then brought them back to Europe to be sold. He tells in some of his writings about being haunted by the cries of the slaves on these ships. And he experienced such transformation, he eventually became a preacher and an author of many things, not just Amazing Grace. This was found in one of his journals. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I will one day become. But I am not what I was. And by the grace of God, I am who I am. This is real transformation. So the first way we ought to wait is wait as as if we should not be surprised by the Jesus return. We should be keeping watch and be ready. The second way we wait is to wait being ready to give an account when Jesus returns. Third way, wait for one who knows that Jesus Christ's coming may be long delayed. This is from the parable of the ten virgins. So let me read Matthew 25, verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. This story hinges on the groom's delay. This is the opposite of our culture today where everything is about the bride. But back then it was all about the groom. Primarily because the groom uh, paid for all the bills. But anyway, this hinges on the groom's delay. So what are the differences between the five wise bridesmaids and the five foolish bridesmaids? Well, the five wise bridesmaids had enough oil because the groom came in the middle of the night and they, everyone was sleeping. So when the cry came out, they filled their, their, their lamps had gone out, but they had enough oil to put it back in so they could see and find the groom and find the party, the house where the party was at. But the five foolish bridesmaids did not have enough oil. So Matthew twenty-five twelve. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. So when the five foolish bridesmaids went to the door, the man at the door said, sorry, I don't know you. 
and shut the door, and they were shut out. Jesus' coming may be long delayed. In fact, we know it's already been over 2,000 years. But remember, a day is like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is like a day. So we need to be ready. So this begs the question, how are you living your life today? And how differently would you be living your life if you knew, for a matter of, if we knew right now Jesus was coming back in two years, would you live your life differently? I think most of us would, wouldn't we? Or two weeks, or two days. So wait for the Lord, knowing that Jesus' coming may be long delayed. The fourth way we are to wait for the Lord's return, wait for the Lord Jesus as one who increases the Master's assets. This comes from the parable of the talents. So in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, three servants get three different amounts of money, talents. So back then it was a a financial term, a, a unit of weight. But for the purposes of this parable, Jesus wants us to consider our wealth, our reputation, our abilities and gifts, and our learning. So they were two diligent servants who received $5,000 and $3,000 each. And they put the money in the bank, and it doubled. It collected interest. So when the master came back, they presented him with $10,000 and $6,000, respectively. And then the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. But the wicked and the lazy servant feared God, feared God in a bad way, not the holy reverend fear, but feared God as some sort of taskmaster or, you know, come back. He was just coming, wanted to come back and scold him or something. So he buried the money, the $1,000, in the, the earth, in the ground. And then when the master came back, he took it out and gave it back to the, the master. And the master said, you know, you are going to you're going to be separated from me for for eternity so we need to be faithful servants and regardless of what you have been entrusted or how long it takes the master to come back we need to give it all give our all to the lord and help extend his kingdom from heaven to earth our time our money and our talent so a, a quick review. The four ways we are to wait for the Jesus, Jesus return are as one who does not wish to be surprised at the coming of the Lord, as stewards who must be ready to give an account, as one who knows that Jesus Christ's coming may be long delayed, and as one who increases the master's assets. This leads us to the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus Christ is coming. How are you waiting? Sorry to bring up Deflategate. But this the state of the NFL has me seriously contemplating not watching football this year. And I'm an avid Boston sports fan. 
Deflategate started as an accusation that the Patriots intentionally took some air out of a football or a couple of footballs at an AFC championship game a few years ago. But, well, and Tom Brady is the scapegoat of this, so he's the one that they decided to suspend, give a suspension to. But this quickly went from an issue about deflated footballs to a labor dispute between the players' union, the NFL players' union representing Tom Brady, and Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL. So the players' union, they're, they're upset that Roger Goodell has all this power to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And he determined that Tom Brady knew about these deflated footballs, so he should get four games. And this came out around the time when Ray Rice was caught punching out his, his fiance, I believe it was, or his wife, in the elevator. And Roger Goodell knew this, and he gave Ray Rice two games. I don't, I'm just, the NFL is just driving me crazy. And then the concussion issues and other issues. I mean, I don't want to discourage you, those of you who are really looking forward to this season. But anyway, I'm seriously considering. But the point I'm trying to make here is when we give human beings the power to be judge, jury, and executioner, it's very dangerous. But Jesus Christ is the real, true, just judge, jury, and executioner. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The sheep are the ones who will spend forever with God in heaven, enjoying eternity with God, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And the goats will be, to the, to, they will spend forever separated from God. We do not want to be goats. There's an episode of Little House on the Prairie. It's called Fred. Fred is a goat. And at the very beginning of this episode, the owner, Fred's owner is in the barn. He's bent over picking up some hay, and the goat rams him through the barn wall. And he immediately calls his wife to get the shotgun. I want to kill this demented and worthless goat. Well, Laura comes along, she had been working for his wife, and she, in lieu of 40 cents pay for four days of helping his wife doing chores, she says, I'll take the goat instead. But then she brings the goat home, and he ends up ramming her father. And This goat is, is a terrible goat. And two weeks ago, we went to Kimball's Farm in um, Carlisle, and we're sitting there eating our ice cream, and all of a sudden we hear bang, bang, bang. And we look, walk over, and the goat is just standing, ramming his head up against the wall, just walking. We do not want to be goats. We want to be sheep. <laughs> so 
This leads us to the fifth way we are to wait for the Lord Jesus' return. We are to wait for the Lord's coming as people who are so transformed by the gospel that we unselfconsciously serve others for Christ. Let me say that again. We are to wait for the Lord's coming as people who are so transformed by the gospel that we unselfconsciously serve others for Christ. This famous passage that Jesus said, When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was sick, you healed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. I tell you the truth, whatever you've done for the least of these, my brothers, you've done for me. What does that mean? Well, before I tell you what it means, I'd like to tell you what it doesn't mean. Sadly, this passage that I just cited is misinterpreted often. It does not mean that if you are kind and generous to the poor, you get a free ticket into heaven. It does not mean that. Now, is being kind and generous to the poor a bad thing? No. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only means we as human beings have to get into heaven. Romans 3.23, for all all have sinned. Every one of us, every nation, every tribe, every tongue has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And if we believe and trust in Jesus, we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. In Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given to man by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Christ is our means of being saved. So when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was sick, you healed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. This is what he says when he's describing the sheep. So what does that mean? Well, this is how we are to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how we are to treat one another here in this church. And it's a reminder of the golden rule that we are to treat others as we ourselves wish to be treated. So when I was hungry and you did not give me something to drink or to eat and then to drink, the opposite of the sheep, it's the goats. And they will be separated from God. But I want to share with you my own personal uh, sheep and goats story. That incredible time in my life. So as I shared with you earlier, 25 years ago, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. There were many struggles along the way. 
Let me give you a little background. This will help you to understand when we get to the point of um, the sheep and the goats moment in my life. I want to share with you a Kodak moment. And I'm sure many of you don't know what a Kodak moment is. This is a picture. This is like a time that's ingrained in my life. An Instagram moment. When I was six or seven years old, I'll never forget this night, we were sitting at the dinner table. My mother, my older brother, my younger sister, and myself. And there was an empty plate of food there for my father. The question wasn't, was he out drinking? The question was, what type of drunk would he be when he got home? Would he be a happy drunk and want to play with us and bounce us on his knee? which was rare, plus it was never happy for us? Or would he be a quiet drunk, come home, go to his room or go to the living room, shut the door, shut the lights, listen to music, watch TV, you don't bother me, I won't bother you? Sadly, he came home too often or most often as a combative drunk, looking for someone to get into it with. Well, after dinner that night, um, I went to the living room, which was right next to the kitchen dining room, to watch TV. My older brother went to our shared bedroom. My sister went to her bedroom. My mother stayed in the kitchen and washed dish washing the dishes. Sure enough, my father came home, and immediately arguing between my mother and father happened. Then I heard the plate of food smash up against the wall, and I became curious. So I was peeking the kitchen door open just as my father was holding a butcher knife. My mother was on one side of the table, my father on the other. And then he buried it into the table. And the reason that story is so ingrained in my brain is because every time I saw that mark, the gash mark in the table, it just brings this, brought it back to me. So there is a lot more I could tell you about, but there is a soft spot in my heart for people who struggle with alcohol. There always has been and there always will be. So let's fast forward to 1999. So this was late 60s where that Kodak moment happened. So a lot had happened between now and then, but one of the biggest things in my life was, in biggest growth spurts was due to God bringing my wife into my life. And at this point, we were married about two, two and a half years in 1999. One of the biggest frustrations that started happening in my life at this time was, as an adult child of an alcoholic, I had absolutely no direction vocationally, no sense of purpose. I went from job to job for so many years. And when I was married, it really be started to become painful. Because when I was single and I was just taking care of myself, yeah, there was some frustrations, but it was okay. I'd just get another job or whatever. But now that I'm married, it's become much more of a serious issue. And then, to make matters even more frustrating, we became pregnant. So. At this time, I was working at the Cambridge City Hospital, 
I was a counselor in an adult locked psych unit. I was, I checked in with the patients, I helped change linens, I delivered the food. Occasionally the clinicians would let us sit in on discussions about patient plans and things. And what, when we, when I found out that, let me actually, this was Cambridge City Hospital, the fourth floor of the Cahill building that I worked, which incidentally used to be the maternity ward that I was born in. <laughs> so the apple did not fall far from the tree. But anyway, when we knew Angie was pregnant, I thought, I need to, we need to make some more money. So I looked for another job within the system. And I got the job as the uh, supervisor of the registration department in the psych emergency department downstairs. Well, little did I know that I beat out a young woman who was also went for the job who had already been working in the registration for two years. She made my life miserable in... I was the only Christian in this place, and this was the first experience I ever had of persecution in my life. And I was ill-equipped to deal with it. I was miserable. Literally, there were mornings I was driving to work where I was in tears, just not wanting to walk through those doors. One particularly bad morning, I took an early lunch, and I walked to Immen Square. And on my way to Immen Square, just totally miserable, I just, out of the corner of my eye, I glanced over and there was a homeless man sitting on a bench. He was passed out. Now, I had recognized this man because I used to live in Cambridge. I was always in Cambridge and this guy had long hair, long white hair. And I knew that he struggled with alcohol, I could tell. I've seen him drinking. So I used to pray for him. I just, I'd see him drive by and pray for him. God bless this guy. Well, I went into Immen Square. I had a Coke and a slice of pizza and did not want to go back to that psych emergency department. I was trudging back. Again, I noticed the homeless man sitting there. You know, I've told that story many years ago. I used to refer to him as a bum. I'll never refer to this man as a bum ever again in my life. Well, the Holy Spirit at that moment inspired me. I went across the street to Rosie's Bakery and I bought a decaf cup of coffee with cream and sugar and a toasted bagel and cream cheese. And I walked over to this man. I tapped him on the shoulder. And I said, here, this is for you. And he kind of, he looked up at me, you know, realized what I had given him. And he asked me, why did you do that for? And I said, I just wanted to, God bless you. And what he said to me next, no one has ever been able to guess. So I'm sure if I asked you to guess, some of you would say, oh, he said, God bless back to you. God bless you back to you. Or he said, thank you. Or he said something like, nobody's ever done anything like this for me before. He said, I love you. I love you. I'm sure you've heard the expression, a weight lifted from your shoulders. 
I went back into that psych emergency department without a care in the world. Within two weeks of that event, I gave my notice. Our daughter was born, and I applied to seminary. Matthew 25:40 from the message. The king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whatever you have done, whenever you have done one of these things for, to someone who is overlooked and ignored, you did it. That was me. You did it to me. I encountered Christ on that day. And to this day, it still sends shivers down my spine when I think about that experience. Let me give you three quick lessons on this. The importance of the Holy Spirit in your lives. If you are a Christian, in every day before you even get out of bed, before your feet hit the ground, if you don't say, God, inspire me with the Holy Spirit, help me to live in the Spirit today. And just be open and ready for whatever the Spirit may bring in front of you. And then the unselfconsciously part of this. Again, it was the spirit that inspired me to get that cup of coffee and bagel. I had no idea how that experience would have changed my life for the good. And it really it continues to do so to this day. And the third thing is, is that we are just far too busy. You know, sadly, I think... We all walk by Jesus, if not on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. I encourage you to live your lives as if, as you are so, because you are so transformed by the gospel that you unselfconsciously serve others for Christ. Jesus is coming back. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. Live your lives knowing you have to give an account. You need to be transformed by the gospel if you're going to do that. And then live your lives as if knowing Jesus Christ's coming may be long delayed. But what if he did come back tomorrow? What would he find you be doing? And live your lives so that you are increasing the master's assets with your time, your talent, and your money. Also, live your life so unselfconsciously and transformed by God that you serve others for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, scripture where we learn how to wait correctly for you, Lord. I pray for each one here, God. Help us to be ready for you, Lord, and to be increasing your kingdom from heaven to earth in the meantime. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.